Okay, you're live. All right. Well, thank you for coming back. We are still in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're talking still about Abraham and his faith. And what's going to come up today is a, a little section talking about the city. Uh, that he was looking for a city, a heavenly city, a country, not his own. As we know, he left Ur and went to the land of Canaan. But even the idea here is that when he got to Canaan, he didn't find what he was looking for. He was looking for something bigger, something that he couldn't find yet at that time because it hadn't been made available. He was looking for the city of God, the kingdom of God. And we'll take a look at these verses, and I think uh, a lot of verses will tie together as we go through this. But we are in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 8. A lot of these things will be reviewed as we go through this. I'll try to move quickly through the review, of course. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance talking about the physical land, he, his nation would eventually receive it as an inheritance, their nation. It's like each nation was given a territory, was given borders, was given their own place to live. He would receive this. After the Canaanites were finished with it, uh, after they had decreased, declined into a place of worthlessness, they would be removed and someone else would be brought in. That's why God controls history. Since the Tower of Babel, he had an end history with the flood, but after the flood, he established the nations at the Tower of Babel, and now he controls history by letting nations rise. When they become corrupt, just remove those nations. It doesn't have to flood the whole world and start over again. just continues to move nations in and out. Uh, we're in the midst of that right now. Do not think we're separate from history. We are in the midst of having risen as a nation and now declining as a nation, and indeed there will be someone coming in to remove and live in our place once our nation has uh, proven to be uh, a disaster. Uh, you can, you know, you're living in the midst of it. We have revival, a variety of things can happen. I don't know the future, we just know the pattern of what has happened throughout history. Nonetheless, he would receive this land as an inheritance. That's not our topic today, not the land of, of Canaan. It's just that's where he's going and is traveling through this physical land knowing it's not his yet because there's still nations, there's still city-states. He's still got treaties with the people in that land. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We've mentioned this several times. You start following God, knowing you're following God, knowing that he's leading you, that you've got complete faith and confidence in him, but you don't know exactly where you're going because you cannot know exactly where you're going because it's beyond your understanding and it's too glorious for you to fully understand. So we follow as we best know and we live by faith. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, there's that phrase, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, which was appropriate. It's his land, but not yet. So he's an alien living in the land that's going to become his. And he did it appropriately. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Those are the next two generations, Isaac. And then Jacob inherited the same promise of this land. Jacob's going to hand it to his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Who, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And that promise is more than the land. And remember, part of that promise beginning in Genesis 12 that was that all nations on the earth, remember that phrase, all nations on the earth would be blessed through Abraham. What Abraham was doing, or what God was doing through Abraham, was going to eventually bless all nations. And that's where this is going to end up here today. Uh, we're heirs with him of the same promise. For he, watch here, here's the verse we're going to springboard from today. For he was looking forward to the city, not a city, but the city, 
with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So what we have here, we have not just he's looking for a city, he was looking for a particular city. The city. And architect and builder. And we're going to look at these words here. This is the one who designs it. This is the one who executes it. The architect and builder of this city that he was looking for was God himself. So first of all, we understand this city, one thing, it's not built by Nimrod, or it's not a Jebusite city. It's not even the city of, the physical city of Jerusalem today, or in Abraham's day. That's why that location is important, and the city is important, but this city, Jerusalem today, we, we can even tell you different phases of who, who built it, you know. When the Jebusites built this wall, when David built this wall, and Solomon added this, got the book coming out, you can get all the details. And then Solomon the Magnificent came, and he built the walls that you see today. You can see Nehemiah, we can see Nehemiah's walls. This is the architect, the one who designed it, and the builder is God. And now we go to your notes, please. Um, I think we don't need page one. Yeah, okay, page 2, we go to chapter 11, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has, has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, notice that word foundations, and we're going to end up in Revelation 21, because we have to. But there you see the city, and it's going to identify the 12 foundations of the city, and the material they're made out of, and they're all very you know, glorious, they're divine material. First of all, uh, the word uh, he expected is underlined for he was looking forward to. And he expected, that means he was waiting. See, the, uh, I said last week I was talking about these, these verses, I said the word, these, the Hebrew text. This is in the book of Hebrews, but it's Greek text. And I realized after I got out of the class I had been saying Hebrew text, and it, it, it's not, it's Greek text, um, as you know. But a point one underneath there for that word that is pronounced eked. Uh, okay, eto, decato, ek, edeto. It means, he, it's translated in the NIV, he was looking forward to. Uh, the English standard, you can see at the top, therefore, he was looking forward to. Uh, the transliteration, or the translation in the, Hebrew, uh, the Greek boxes, he was awaiting. The word means, uh, it's a preposition in a compound form with two words, meaning to be ready, to be prepared to deal with a situation. The two phrases or words are ek, meaning out of, and to welcome. It means to welcome from the heart, meaning it's in your heart, and from out of your heart, you're welcoming something, which makes sense. It's like you can't see it, you're just awaiting it. The day is going to come, you're going to graduate from high school. You're From your heart, you're anticipating high school graduation, or you can name a variety of examples there of things that you know is going to happen, but you can't have it yet. So out of your heart, you're waiting for it. It's a very, you know, we experience it all the time. It's defined as to take or receive. By implication, it means to await or expect. So he was expecting. He was expecting a city. He knew he wasn't. He left Ur. This is important. He's going to leave the country he was born in. He's going to leave his homeland. He's going to leave his family because he's looking for something else. He's expecting something else that's going to take place. Uh, it's, it's, not another, it's not another physical city, because when he gets to Ur, gets to Canaan, 
He continues to live in a tent. He doesn't like settle in Jerusalem. He, it's not here yet. Because he's looking for a city, the word uh, that we have architect there, it's, it's the, the Greek there, it's technites. It means the craftsman, the art, artifice, how do you say that word, artificer, designer, and the maker. It, it means the plan. It, he is, this city was planned by God. Now we're going to find out as we go through it. It already exists. This city is already in existence in Abraham's time. He just can't go to it. In fact, I'll give you a comparison of some verses. Uh, the city is built, it's designed, it has been built, just like the lake of fire has been prepared in Matthew 25. The lake of fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. God is not sometime in the future going to prepare or, or make the lake of fire. It is already there and waiting. So they're going to have the same verses. It's going to be in the past tense here in the, in the text. It's the city that has been built. Like it's not he's someday going to build it. You can't have it because it's not here yet. Uh, it's not that you can't have it because it's not built yet. It's you can't have it because it's not time. It, it's there waiting. So the architect was God, a craftsman, and the word for builder, it means the public workman, the contractor or constructor, the maker. And from two Greek words, demos, which means people, and ergon, meaning the people work. The pe this would be like the public, really, the word means like the public work system. The, the city of West Des Moines, the employees of the city of West Des Moines, they built this road. That is what this word means, the builder. It means the people's work, the people's worker, the construction of the city. The public, uh, uh, the mayor, the, the government of the city, they, they organize this. So the architect, the one who planned it, and the one who went out and did the work, the public works committee for this city, was God himself. So God is on the committee. God is the public workers driving the trucks around, doing the work. That's God. This is the city. And it's, it's designed by God. Uh, Abraham was looking forward to the eternal city. Abraham was not looking forward to Canaan, earthly city. And now from that point, we're going to springboard into Psalm 87. And this is, this is going to be kind of like a key verse or a key set of verses for us today. Psalm 87. And this is going to begin a journey through several verses talking about the city, whose architect and builder is God. And this is not, again, be careful as I'm teaching. You always got to be thinking, don't let me take you down a road or overemphasize something. You know, get too dramatic in one sense or the other. Keep it balanced. Uh, be thinking. But this, this right here, this city, you're going to see it throughout Scripture. This city is really a theme. And it's not just this abstract theme and we've got to be careful because I've got to be careful, and I assume you're in a similar situation, because you have naturally preconceived ideas <coughs> from being in this Western culture, uh, of being church people, uh, of having Hollywood and, the, and our Christian culture morph into our modern, uh, postmodern culture, and it presents you this image of, you know, for example, it's almost like we, we've talked about it many times, but I'll say it again. It's almost like the Greek religions of where you you die, you leave this, this body of corruption, and your spirit, your soul goes away to Elysium, and you go away. And you've been delivered from this world. And, you, and again, there's a Christian theme for that. But in Christianity, that's where 1 Corinthians ran into some... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the Corinthians ran into a difficulty with it because of the resurrection of the body. Meaning... Yes, you're going to lay your body down, and you're going to 
to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord, then we stop right there. In, in Christendom, in the Western world, we just stop right there. Oh, they've gone to a better place. And now they're with the Lord forever, somewhere in heaven, wherever that place is at. And then it becomes very mystical, very you know, subjective, uh, even in the place that it's, it's a fantasy, which is something we hope for, and it never really happens. You just die and turn back to dust, but at least it gives you some hope during life. But we have this image that there's a bunch of people living somewhere in heaven, just kind of mill, milling around, you know, doing a lot of singing, and they're happy, they're not sick anymore. And so ends the story. I mean, that, that's, you know, they've gone, uh, maybe sometimes in Hollywood they're like now, uh, they're overlooking you, you know, and they're like your guardian angel, which is the way they become angel. It's like, now you're just making stuff up now. now you're, just, you're just, you're making American mythology is what you're doing. That's not even Christianity anymore. But they do go away. And the Greeks, they did not like the idea of the resurrection. Because you're teaching that to be fulfilled, that, that spirit, that soul, the body is going to be resurrected and they're going to be reunited and we're right back to where we started from with this miserable body on this miserable earth. And it's not reincarnation, but it's like you know two degrees away from reincarnation and it's like now we're back... It's like, so they didn't like it. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is arguing with them. It's like, we taught you resurrection. When you became a Christian, you accepted the concept of a physical resurrection because Jesus was physically resurrected. He didn't become a spiritual being and just float off. He, he could travel at the speed of thought, but he had a physical body. That is the theme. So there is a day coming where we are going to be with the Lord, but He's going to bring us back and we will have a resurrected body. And there's a whole line of history that's going to come now after that in this resurrected state, which is going to tie into the city. Just like Satan and his angels and those who they'll be those who are rebellious towards God will be thrown into the lake of fire already prepared. There is a city whose architect and builder is God that we will be prepared for. But part of that, as we're going to see, as we already know, involves the resurrection of the physical body. So there's some side of this that's going to be tangible, and not just in this mystical sense. Psalm 87 picks up on this. And so I'm going to read Psalm 87. And uh, again, always be careful as I'm teaching, and I'm not teaching anything strange or heretical, you know. But I, I, I could emphasize, well, I could be, I, I could emphasize one thing more than the other. Here we are in Psalm 87. This is a psalm written by the sons of Korah. It's a, it's a song. Uh, it says that in the, in the subtitle. First of all, here we go. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. So there's a foundation set on the holy mountain. Now we're going to be talking about the holy mountain. We're going to be talking about Zion. And I think in their minds, I think in the concept here, we're in Psalm 87, that holy mountain is... Mount Moriah, right here. This is Zion. That's it, It's the right mountain that rises north of the city of David, where the Temple Mount stood. That is Zion. Uh, and that is... You understand, we could go through all of eschatology. Be careful, don't just say, think Mount Zion is like somewhere far away. Now there is a city that's prepared that's not here yet. But also we see in Scripture that city is going to come back to the earth, or come to the earth, and it's going to be united here. So just read this as we go. He has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. And that, that has to be talking in this psalm by this priestly family about the temple mount. 
They're not talking about some faraway place. You know, although there is a correlation with that. Uh, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob, meaning all the other cities of Jacob, or Judah, or Israel. He loves this one more than the others. Meaning he's got a covenant with this place. Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. So we're now we're talking about the city of God. Glorious things are said about you. We're talking about they. Now, beginning in verse 4, you begin a list of nations. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Now, Rahab, that's, that, that, that's a, a mythical monster that's associated with Egypt. So that's probably, you know, like you might have, you know, the bear would be uh, Russia, and the dragon would be China, and the eagle would be America. The Rahab is, is Egypt. I will record Egypt and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Now, he's taken people, he's taken the nation of Egypt, he's taken the nation of Babylon or the people of that time. Again, this is about 1000 uh, BC when this is being written. So, you know, you can forget about all the history that precedes it or, or comes after this. This is just kind of what they're, they're talking about nations. Uh, and God says, I will count them as those who acknowledge me. Like, they, they are now mine. They now have faith in me. They, they acknowledge me as God. And he goes on. Among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush. Now, Philistia is the west coast, uh, you know, land of Gaza today, the Philistines. Then going up to Tyre, that would be Phoenicia going further north of the coast. But then he goes all the way down to Cush, which is what they call Upper Egypt, which is Southern Egypt. You've got the, the northern part called Lower Egypt, and you've got Upper Egypt because it's on the other side of the equator, the rivers throw the other way. So you're, what you're talking about is both north and south Egypt, Babylon, north of Israel, the, the land of Phoenicia, Philistines to the west. You've got all the way around, north, south, east, west. You've got everybody covered. They will acknowledge me and will say, this one was born in Zion. Now, that, that's, that's key right there. This one was born in Zion. So you're, gonna, you're, you're naming these cities. You're naming Babylon. You're naming Egypt. You're naming Cush. You're naming Philistia. You're naming uh, the Phoenicians up here. And here's Zion. And they're going to say they were born in Zion. Which is not the case because... They were born in Babylon. They were born in Phoenicia. They were born in Philistia. They were born in Egypt. They were born in Cush. But they acknowledge God, and they're going to be counted as those that are born in Zion. And you can see where this is going to head, potentially. Uh, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one was born in her. The Most High Himself will establish her. God is going to establish Zion and all these people that were born, actually born in these other countries, they're going to do like Abraham. They're going to leave their countries. And they're going to begin looking for some place that is better. They acknowledge God and they're looking for Zion. They're looking for the city of God. And when they arrive there, He will acknowledge them and they will be now considered born. We could say they've already been born. But they're born again in this now, and their citizenship is no longer Ur of the Chaldeans or in Egypt. Their citizenship is in Zion. They are citizens of the city. They've been born 
a second time in this city because they're looking for something better than Egypt, better than Ur, better than Phoenicia, better than their homeland, better than their... It could be any place, anybody, anywhere. I was born here, I live here, but there's something bigger in life than my city, my temporal world, my busyness of my life. There's something out there bigger. And they're going to look for that. They're seeking it. And that's what people do. They're seeking this throughout their lifetime. Um, it says, indeed, verse 5 of chapter 87, indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, Zion, and the Most High Himself will establish her, Zion. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples. Now, the register of the people is the citizenship. It's where, you know, who's... Who owns property? Who's a member? Who you know their taxes? You're a citizen. He'll the Lord will write in the register of His people. What will He write? This one was born in Zion. And then there's that word Sela, which means stop and think about it. These people have come from all these other countries, north, south, east, and west, and they've come because they're looking for this. And when they get there, God will say, "All right, welcome." You acknowledge me, I'm putting you in the register, and now it's official. Your, your driver's license says you were born in Zion. But I was born in Egypt. You left Egypt, you're now a citizen, you're born here. And that is what they're talking about. It's, that's kind of a, a great little psalm right there. This one was born in Zion, and then it's, it's a seed. I mean, think about that. Their citizenship just got transferred. They renounced their citizen, citizenship here. And we're accepting them here. As they make music, they will sing, All my foundations are in you. Or excuse me, all my fountains are in you. And fountains in the Middle East is water, of course. But water is the source of life. So you could even, if you want to make that symbolic, All my fountains are in Zion. All my sources of life, all my life, sources are in Zion. Uh, and right here, if you are a citizen of Zion, you've got the fullness of life. You've got the life of the Son, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You're a free citizen living there in Zion. So that's our first example uh, on page 2. Uh, Abraham was looking for a city. It's, it's mentioned in chapter 87. Go to Galatians chapter. We're going to just kind of run this down right here. I've got several verses. You can see them on there. Galatians chapter 4. And we can't make a... a uh, tight connection to all of these in, in the sense of you know, there, there are different verses. One, what we just read was 1000 B.C., a psalm by the sons of Korah. Now we're going to go to Galatians, and Paul is debating with the Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. He's debating with the Galatians because they came to Christ. He presented it clearly, just like he presented it clearly to the Corinthians, and they accepted the Christ dying for their sins, the Christ being resurrected, and them being new creatures in Christ. Uh, but then they started thinking about it, oh, wait, we don't like the resurrection. They started adapting it to their own cultural understanding, just like we do, just like churches do here. We've got the Bible, then we've got our culture. How can we make this smoother a transition instead of this drastic renouncing your citizenship in Ur and then going and waiting for this city? It's like, ah, maybe we can blend them together. And so, uh, the Corinthians, we like this idea of being born again, being citizens of heaven, being spiritual beings, but we don't want this physical resurrection that doesn't match with our, our pre. so they're going to get rid of that. Well, 
that's what the Corinthians did. That's what we do. I can just give you example after example. Like, what do we do? It's like there's a conflict. Well, let's just smooth this conflict out so we can be, you know, people of the postmodern culture, but also Christians with a hope for salvation in, in the future. It's like, well, there's going to be something. Postmodern has no absolutes, and you're following a religion that has absolutes. Uh, well, we're going to have to round those corners off so it all fits together. When you start rounding off the corners of the absolutes of Christianity, you don't have any building blocks, and you're just going to roll down the hill. You can't do anything with it. Well, the Galatians, they accepted the same message of faith in Christ. They were born again. The Spirit came into their life. But then the Judaizers came up and, as you know, started teaching them the legalistic law. Now, to be a real Christian, you guys got kind of got started. To be a real Christian, you've got to follow the dietary laws, and you've got to get circumcised, and you've got to keep these holidays. And they started giving them the law. Now, for the weak-minded Christian who doesn't understand the Word of God and doesn't feel the transformation, they maybe are maturing, maybe understanding, but they don't feel emotionally the mystical power of you know, something that they're really doing, it sounds like a lot of fun to have, I'm doing these regulations. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, boom, boom, boom. I, I've transformed my, I, I've transformed my life. We can transform your life by joining a fitness club. You can transform your life by joining some community club and handing out food or something. It's like, what a trans, trans, transition you've been. The transition we're talking about is Jesus Christ coming into your life and causing you to be born again. It's by faith, and He does the work. The Galatians abandoned that, and we're now all about the law. So Paul comes to them, Galatians chapter 4, um, and I'm going to read through this, and then we'll pick out some things from it, because he's going to pick up and use this city. Now this is going to be uh, close to something we talked about a few weeks ago. Well, here we go. Chapter 4, verse 24. Uh, oh, I'm going to begin in verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law. So there's there's two things here. And boy, you know, I don't want to break down the whole book of Galatians. Grace. Uh, you're under law, you're under grace. Here you're born again by faith, and you are free. Now you are being transformed. I mean, do not get the idea... This is, not, this is not your area of, of tolerance. We just accept everybody as they are. No, everybody as they are are accepted to enter grace by faith and you're free. And now you begin to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Which means there's a lot of changes that are going to be taking place. You're going from a dead creature into the very life of God. So you're changing a lot. Uh, the law is uh, works. You're going to do the works. And you are a slave to this law, because if you don't do it, you lose. You have to do this, and you're not really being transformed, you're just becoming very legalistic. You're, uh, you feel like you're doing something, because you can feel the bondage of the things you're committed to. This is Christianity. Again, a lot of transformation, but God is doing the work in you as you continue to be renewed by His Word. This is basically uh, a fitness program, or a, a religious program, or a some kind of a you know five-step program of you're trying to become more religious. So Paul's very much negative on this. So here we go. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now watch Paul become 
the rabbi. This is now a stop. This, some of this gets kind of like strange right here. But Paul, because they're following Jewish law, and they're being manipulated by this Jewish teaching, Paul says, listen, I can teach Jewish style better than anybody. He was trained by Gamaliel, the great teacher. Paul did it for years. And now he's just going to go, you want some Jewish teaching? You want some Jewish style? I'll go Jewish style on it. He goes, he, goes, he goes full rabbi on him right here. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. Nothing special, just another naturally born son. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. It was God promising a covenant God made. This son was just because two people slept together, had a son, he grew up. Everybody does that. This son was born because God says, I make a covenant, I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to have great things that will transpire because of this. These things may be taken figuratively. Now this is Paul going figuratively. It's like, where in the Bible, does the Bible ever teach figuratively? Well, right here. Paul tells you. Now, you. That's not for you. You can't go back and read the, well, the life of Abraham is a figure. It, it's not really historical. Well, no, the Bible makes it very historical. Paul's using something out of Abraham's historical life as a figure of, of reference here. These things may be taken figuratively. For the woman, the women, represent two covenants. One covenant is Mount Sinai. Right here. Where Moses got the law. One more, Now the woman becomes the mountain. You see, it's like, whoa! Okay, now, now Hagar is now Mount Sinai. See, now we're in full figurative teaching. We're full rabbi. Uh, one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children uh, who are to, are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now, that's, that, that causes a lot of interesting things right here. In Arabia, that's, that, where's that at? But we'll, we'll go off that later. And corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Oh! Now, this is Hagar, who is Mount Sinai, which is, in this figurative example, the current city of Jerusalem. And that doesn't just mean, you know, 54 A.D. when this book was being written. That means Jerusalem that is temporal, the earthly. Not just the Jerusalem that was going into revolt against Rome that was destroyed. It means that what you see in that picture, it means that city, Jerusalem, represents Mount Sinai, which represents Hagar, is represented by Hagar, which is the law, which you are a slave, legalistic, and you are going to lose because it's temporal. So Hagar represents the law on Mount Sinai, which is Jerusalem today. And all these false teachers just arrive from Jerusalem to teach you Jerusalem stuff. Stop listening to them. Because I'm talking about... Uh, okay. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above... So now you're talking about... Jerusalem again. There's another Jerusalem. Now we're going to assume this is the city built by God, the architect and builder, the public work system for the city is above. It's, you can't see it. Abraham was looking for this city, but he knew he wasn't going to get it. 
Abraham knew this city. He talked to the king of the city, Melchizedek. He, 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 he protected it. He was around that city. But he was looking for this city. So you've got two Jerusalems, one that's on the earth and one that is above, and it's already in existence. Not like God's going to build it someday. It's already there. This Jerusalem is above, and it represents uh, Jerusalem because, okay, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Meaning, this is you. You are not born here. You are now born here. This is your mother. You wonder if he's pulling anything out of Psalm 87. You even wonder when Jesus talks about you must be born again, if, he's, if that phrase born again is tied into Psalm 87, where these people are born in all these countries, but now they come to Zion and are recognized, they recognize Zion, they're now given a new birth certificate, they've been born a second time, or born again. Well, this is, you know, their mother. Now, for it is written, now he, now he quotes one of the prophets, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, and at, at that time the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same, now that gives you a little insight of what it says he mocked him, is actually some kind of persecution in Paul's mind. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with the free. Now notice how powerful he makes that statement. See, he takes Sarah's statement and makes it a theological statement right here. I mean, he's taking Sarah's, get rid of that son, as a, as, a, as a rallying cry for his theological point. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So he says, this is us, and this is the guy, and what he's talking about, this, I, he, all he did was take, they, they slipped, he presented them the gospel, they understood it, the Jews came down and they basically taught them this, and he says, he destroys this, makes that an image, and creates the new image over here that is exactly his original message of the gospel. Now, but he's talking here very clearly about a Jerusalem that is above, that has free... And I, now, you've got to think, is he just talking about an abstract concept? Is, is, the, is the city that is above also figurative? It's not really there? Or is he talking about a city, the city Abraham was looking for that Hebrews is talking about? Or the city that we see in, in Psalm 87? Uh, Philippians 3.20, uh, you, you know that verse. I'll read it, Philippians 3.20. And this, uh, this is talking about the citizenship, but it also ties together, not just that you are citizens of heaven, but it gives you a, a sequence, it gives you a time. And this is important because it kind of, it, it, it fits. It, if what I was saying was in, in grievous air, this verse would, would maybe rock it a little bit. Or, if someone takes a teaching like what I'm presenting here, and they present it slightly skewed, then this verse is going to correct it. So here we go, chapter 3, verse 20. Okay. Uh, I'll begin at verse, verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's talking about people who claim to be Christians. But they're actually living as enemies. How? Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. In other words, they're followers of Christ, but everything they do is of this temporal world. It's, it's, 
It's, it's just temporal. They have, they're still in Ur. They're still in Egypt. They're still in the, the physical city of Jerusalem. They're trying to satisfy everything here. He says their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. See, that's exactly what I said. Their mind is on earthly things. They're not Abraham looking for something bigger. They found what they're looking for right here on earth. I, I got, I'm living my best life now. This is what I want right here. Uh, it says, their mind is on earthly things. But, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, you can't find what you're looking for here. You, it's not, you're not gonna, if you find it, something's wrong. Our citizenship is in heaven. And you're not, in other words, your citizenship, where your name is registered, where you belong, where your address is, where all of your tax breaks are, it's in heaven. It's, it, it's, it's not here. Well, what good is it? Well, we're waiting. It's very valuable, but we're waiting. And here, here's the waiting part right here. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Meaning there is a Savior coming where our citizenship is. The emperor is going to invade. He is coming from there. Notice, we're not going there. Our citizenship is in heaven, but he's coming from there here. Now again, we're going to have that, that rapture story. Now we're going to meet the Lord in the air, but then he's going to come back. We're going to get all that eschatology. But in this verse right here, it simply says, our citizenship is there, but he is coming from there. So he's coming here. Uh, the, the, our, our, uh, and we, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Once again, what does it mean, bring everything under his control? Isn't everything under his control? Well, so yeah, in heaven. But remember the prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything is under his control in heaven. But Satan is the God of this age, and there's still rebellion here. He is going to come from heaven and bring everything on earth under his control, which again is something future. And when he comes, he's going to be bringing the citizens, the rights, the kingdom, and he's going to bring everything under his control, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, watch, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when he returns, you're going to be resurrected with a physical body. Now why do you need a physical resurrected body if you're just going to go to this spiritual Elysium far away like the Corinthian stuff? Because he's coming back here. What's he going to get control of? This age, this world. You're going to be resurrected for this present earth, and he's going to be bringing the city of God that Abraham was looking for is going to be here on this earth. That's a Galatians or Philippians. <laughs> now watch. Go to Hebrews 12. We're going to rush ahead into our little book here, our large book. The author calls it a short letter of exhortation. We call it a three-year three-year <laughs> journey. Hebrews chapter 12. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the theme is you've got. I, I've got to look at it. Watch this writer. Now, if you are, a, if you are a, a, again, and there's nothing right or wrong about it. If you believe Paul wrote this book of Hebrews, which I don't think so, but that, that's that's an opinion. That's not even, you know, a, a, you know, some ideas. You're going to have some proof of Paul's authorship right here. 
Because remember what we just read in Galatians? You know, the, the two mountains? Uh, chapter 12, verse 18. He says to the readers, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. Now, what is he? He's talking about a volcano. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Sinai. He's talking about Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, when they got there, God came down. It was a theophany. God came down. The mountain started shaking. It started burning. God's presence manifested there on Mount Sinai. In the physical. When God came, the earth shook. And we see it through the prophets that when God had the theophany takes place, the earth shakes. And it's, it's, we went through that in minor prophets. It's repeated. Well, nonetheless, he says to the people that are either Christians that have believed in Christ, he says, just like Paul, you, you're, you have not come to Mount Sinai. You've come to something completely, you've not come to a place that God is shaking, a place where you're weeping and terrified and you're being given a law. That you, it's like, no, you've not come to this. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and a storm. This is all describing Mount Sinai with Moses. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. I always like to stop at that. The word, where it's, uh, no further word, is the word rhema. It's not logos. It's the word rhema, which means uh, uh, some kind of expression. I mean, there, he's, he's an utterance. He is, he's giving them revelation. And God is speaking to them clearly, and they're understanding it, and they're begging, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's, the words apparently are too convicting, are too revealing, they're too bright, they're too, they're too much... I mean, can you imagine the postmodern culture having to hear God speak reality to them, and they just they couldn't cancel it fast enough? That's what these people, stop saying that. Shut that off. Stop saying that. A voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further rhema be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. It wasn't it was loud. It was the content. The content was so severe. Now, you, you've seen something or heard a story. Maybe you saw, I know I've seen movies, and I see something on a movie, it's like, oh, I wish I didn't see that. Or someone's telling you a story, and then this accident happened, and this is how it, it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't heard that. Or someone describes how they got their finger cut. So it's like, oh, you, you've had that experience at some level. They're hearing God is giving them revelation, and, and they, 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 shut, I can't want to hear that story. I don't want to hear that anymore. They begged that no further rain would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even, for example, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight, watch, it wasn't because these guys were all sinners, because they were all temporal, they were all human. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Moses himself, who had to go up there and talk to God, it's like, he, he wasn't like, well, come on, you chickens, it's just God, you know. He loves us. He, and Moses is like, oh, I've already talked to this guy in the burning bush. It's like, uh, now, he's, now he's, oh, he's on fire now. Okay. And Moses was trying to be fear. You have not come to that, but you have come to Mount Zion. And now you see right here, this, I don't want to say it becomes confusing, but that is Mount Zion right there. That, that, that's the, the city of God. And Mount Moriah is Mount Zion. 
But this is Mount Sinai. Mount Zion in this illustration is going to be talking about a heavenly Mount Zion that, that you can't get to yet. So that's, you've got to kind of, again, you don't have to agree, and I'm not always right, but you, sometimes it's clearly talking about Mount Zion, but sometimes it's talking about the city of God, Mount Zion, that is still in the heavenlies or is above. For example, Paul just gave the example in Galatians. You've got Mount Sinai, which represents the city of Jerusalem in the temporal sense, but then you've got the city that is above, the Jerusalem that is above. So this Mount Zion would be the Jerusalem that is above. In Galatians or Revelation 21, they're all going to come together, I think. Um, but you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem. So this is Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Lines up with what Paul was saying. The city of the living God. This is the city whose architect and builder is God. A public work system, it's God Himself. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. So this is, this is where all that living list. Now some of them are already there waiting. They've, they've died and gone there. Some of them are still here on earth. But all of their names are written in the registry. So the, the, the church of God is in both places. Some are in heaven, some are here. You have come to the thousands of thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Watch. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Do not be like they do. And he starts speaking from, give me a revelation. Don't refuse it, because this revelation may be more than you can handle. Don't refuse it. Listen. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If, if you suffered consequences if you, of the law that came from Mount Sinai, what happens if God is giving you revelation from Mount Zion? There's no hope for you if you reject that. At what, this is what I'm looking at right here, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. At what time? On Mount Sinai, we're going to say 1446 B.C. Again, that's, you can debate that if you want to. But in 1446 B.C., God's voice to the people on Mount Sinai shook the earth. It was a theophany. Whenever God enters the atmosphere, enters the physical world, there's, there's a shaking. It was a theophany, and it, was, it shook the earth. So that, that's a historical event. Um, at that time, verse 26, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, that's coming out of the prophets, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now when it says the heavens, that's not talking about heaven. We're talking about the three, we're talking about the three ideas here. You've got the earth, you've got the atmosphere, the heavens, which maybe includes not just the atmosphere, but even the entire solar system, or you know, the universe. And then you've got the throne of God, which is heaven, which you can't get to. But this would be earth. Not only is he going to shake the earth, but he's going to shake the heavens, which would be the entire universe, is going to be shaken. Just like Mount Sinai was shaking, there's a day coming where the entire earth is going to shake, and the entire universe is going to shake. Once more, I will, not, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more... 
the writer of Hebrews says, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. God is coming to the earth, just like He came on Mount Sinai, gave them the law in 1446. As they're writing in 63 AD, there's a day coming where God is once again going to leave the heavens and enter here, and He's going to shake this created world and shake out all the created things, and the only thing that's going to remain is going to be eternal. And that would include, that's that would be the resurrection, where our temporal bodies are transformed to be like His body, and this is where the city in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, is going to come down and occupy this, and the whole earth is going to be transformed. And from there, we go to, oh, let's go to Hebrews 13, 14. Hebrews 13, 14. Uh, we're, talking about, we're talking about the city. Chapter 13, verse 14. Let us then go to him, that's Jesus, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. The idea here is Jesus was crucified outside the city walls of 30 AD. They didn't take him to the temple. They didn't honor him. They took him outside the city where the garbage was taken, and they crucified him. Now, you've got one of two choices. Are you going to go into the city where all the prominent people are and all the honor is of this temporal world, which we just read, is going to be shaken and all gotten rid of, or are you going to join Jesus and Abraham and leave this city and go outside the city wall and start looking for something of eternal value? And that's, that's, that's how he's wrapping this book up. Chapter 13, verse 14. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Because again, if you're, if you're going to be part of this culture, this part of the world, and you're going to seek these things like, oh, they'll honor you because you can make sense. But if you start seeking something that can't be seen, that you're not going to get in this age, it's kind of like, what? What are you doing? Uh, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for the city that is to come. And that is, again, that, that ties this, verse, chapter 30, verse 14, back through chapter 12, we just read, all the way back to Abraham leading Ur, looking for the city. So the writer of Hebrews, you can see, city, city, city. All the way through here, he's talking about the city that we're looking for. And it ties into the idea of, are, are, is your religion, is your faith, is your your standards of this age, or are you looking at something that is absolute and eternal, that once this age has passed away, once this postmodern phase has gone through history and we're on to something else, uh, it's gone, you'll still have something of eternal value. Uh, we've got, uh, now, we have to, uh, just because, <laughs> Revelation 21, and this, of course, the last two chapters of 21 and 22. And eschatologically, uh, you know, if, if you care, and here's your timeline right here, you're going to have, uh, we're living here somewhere in history right now. There's eventually going to become a seven-year period, the tribulation. The rapture's either here or here or here or somewhere. You know, and again, that's all, you know, I've got opinions, but we're not going to get into that right now. But then there's going to be the clear, the second coming of Jesus Christ coming back and setting up His kingdom here for a thousand years. After the thousand years, 
there's going to be another rebellion. Now let me tell you this. I told Tony this morning. Uh, because sometimes, you know, you get worn down by it. There always this, this always there's this, in my view, in my worldview, there's always this underlying rebellion against reality. You know, if it's in the media, if it's in movies, if it's in education, if it's just in society in general, they're rebelling against God. And uh, that's fine, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, we preach the gospel, we try to rise above the culture and, and follow the absolute values of the eternal kingdom. Uh, but you, you get weary. But, you know, two things, two things. One, we might be getting close to the end right here. And, I mean, historically, and everybody's always thought they're living in the end times. At least you should be, at least looking at it. Jesus says, be looking. And so there's, the hope is, we're about done. We're, I mean, it's, it's about over. I'm, I'm talking, don't agree with me, because I'm, I'm going to disagree with myself. But I say, it's about over. <laughs> Plus, I'm, heck, I'm 62. I mean, I'm almost dead. I mean, I mean, it's like I mean, it's like I don't. I worry about my kids and my grandkids because they're going to have to. They're going to have to live many more years. Me, I'm almost dead, and so I'm almost. If if Jesus is coming or if I'm dying, it's almost over. And then we'll we'll enter into that time where it's like I don't have to hear all these stupid headlines and all this ridiculous. It's like hey, the corruption in the government. It's like whatever. We're done with that. But wait, now this is way off subject, but wait. We know the story. Jesus returns, sets up his kingdom, and then he begins to rule the nations. Now there's enough freedom during this time that it says in Zechariah that they're supposed to come and worship him on the Feast of Tabernacles. But if they don't, if they, because he's still got the nations intact. He doesn't just get rid of the nations. He, they're all nations ruling in his empire under kind of like, he's kind of like a, like a Cyrus. You know, he's the emperor, and you guys all just go do your own thing, and I'll just observe this and oversee the world. You'll be king of the world, but you got your own nations. But you do need to come once a year and worship me at the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you don't come, I ain't sending you any rain. <laughs> and so for a thousand years, there's the potential of na entire nations saying, we ain't going to Jerusalem this year. We got our own plan. And there'll be newspapers. There'll be there'll be some kind of case like what, what? Jesus is on. He's on the stinking throne. He's came back. You can go up there and see him. And you're what? And I've been for a thousand years. And at the end, Satan is released here. Now, if the rapture takes place today, and wherever you want to put the seven years, you're a good thousand years. And if you're a born again believer. You're going to be here for this. I mean, yeah, it's better than being in hell, obviously, the lake of fire. But you're going to be here. It'll be the kingdom of God. It's not going to be negative. It's not going to be bad. But you're still going to have this, this static in the background <laughs> of these nations that are in rebellion. Then finally, saint is released after a thousand... Meaning, if you're a Bible person, if you know the text of Scripture, if I'm interpreting it correctly, they'll say, we're in the kingdom of God. They'll always be me. I'll be standing there at the coffee shop. Yeah, but a thousand years from now, Satan's getting out. It's like, would you shut up? Just enjoy the day. Oh, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. I'll, I'll be there. It's like, and then he leads all the nations who are as numerous as the sand on the seashore to Jerusalem, and they surround Jerusalem in one fire. It's like the greatest rebellion ever, and then fire comes out of heaven and consumes them. So, 
If you're 62 year old like me, thinking life's almost over, I've almost made it, and Jesus is coming back, and then this whole mess is over, think again. You've got at least a thousand and seven years of this constant static in the background of the rebellion continuing until Satan tries one last time. It's like, and I thought about that this morning. It, it really is like, you know, I'm almost there. I can see the finish line. It's like, no, you can't. It's a millennium away. It's like, you, oh. So just keep that in mind. If you're all being positive today, yeah, help that. <laughs> see if I can help put you back in a negative mood. But anyway, that's not, that, I mean, do you ever think about that? I mean, it's like, it's like, it, it, yeah, exactly. Don't be, don't get positive on me. <laughs> Revelation 21, and I'll read this, and then we'll wrap this up. Chapter 21, and somehow, you, I don't think you can argue with it if you want to. But somehow this, these verses tie together with Abraham's life of he's looking for the city whose architect and builder is not God. That's why he lived in a tent. This is not my place. There's something, he was looking for something bigger. And this, and if you, Psalm 87, you're, you're now born of Zion. You came from Phoenicia or you came from Philistia, but you are now born of Zion. We came from, you know, America. The, 20th, 21st century, but now you've been <coughs> born in Zion. And it winds up Philippians. You are citizens of heaven. Chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Probably from the shaking. I'm going to shake away all the temporal things of Hebrews chapter 12. And there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. Ah, it must be Jerusalem like this one right here. Now remember that was temporal. Again, I'm not saying that, 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 I'm not saying the you know I'm not sure what I'm saying. But it's like somehow that is that's holy to God. In Mount Moriah, God says he'll dwell there forever. Watch this. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is probably the city's architect and builder, not probably it is, was God. Coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now be careful right here when it talks about the bride. Ah, oh, it's the church. It doesn't say church here. It says from heaven, the new Jerusalem. Now indeed, you are citizens of this city. You may be part of the beauty of this city, but this is the city that's coming down. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away, it goes on and talks about this, and we can read more about this. Um, now, look in verse 9, just so you get, I'll be honest here. Verse 9, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of the very precious jewel. Now you got all the, it talks about the gates and the foundations there. So now when it talks about the bride, the wife of the lamb, you, you think of church, but remember where the church is at. Even in Hebrews it says, we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, it's the place of thousands of angels assembled, the place of the, the, the church of the firstborn, and there's some already there. Eventually, we will, at this point, 
all believers will be in that city coming down. So again, city, church, it's it's kind of occupying the same place. And now we're into eschatology, and I'm going to quit with that right there to try and explain it. Anyway, what we talked about today, and we've got to quit, is just Abraham, the writer of Hebrews saying, was looking for a city, and he knew he wasn't going to find it, and he's waiting. He handed the promise off of Isaac and Jacob. They continue to live in tents, and we've been looking for that city ever since then, holding on to the promise. And we're going to talk about the, by, by, uh, with the words coming up there, where they're going to remember, they're going to, they're going to see. It's from their heart they're going to see and understand these things that, that can't be seen now, but they had a, a, a faith. They had facts in their heart, in their soul, in their mind. And that's what we've got here. We've got details, information, that you may not can't see it, but you will be able to remember it. How can you remember it? I've never seen it. You've heard about it, and by faith, you can remember these things and continue the journey as you face the, the difficult things. Uh, there's another great verse I should look at. Right? Yeah, it's coming up next week. Okay, I'll pray, and we're, we're done. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would be people that are also looking for the city of God, looking for things of eternal value, that we live here as good citizens and, and do a good job of representing you in our nation, in our community. But, Father, that our hearts are not set on this age, but are just like Abraham, looking forward and looking for something that is greater. We thank you that this is real, that it is there waiting for us, that you prepared this place for us and are now preparing us for this place in the future. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Thanks for being here.